Welcome to Solo Wake Up, the podcast. My name is Jan Brandt. I'm your host and managing editor of the daily solar newsletter that you can find at solowakeup.com. Today's guest on Solo Wake Up is Abby Hopper, the CEO of the Solar Energy Industries Association. And what better guest to have on to talk about politics uh, after a weekend where the country picked Joe Biden as the next president, most likely a divided government. We get into the ITC. What are the chances it gets extended? We talk about interconnections for large scale, permitting for residential. What are the opportunities and what is the feedback that SIA is getting in Congress? All of that with the undertone of how bipartisan can solar be? Listen to this episode. Abby's a phenomenal guest. We've had her on before. Uh, without further ado, uh, let's talk a little bit about Solar Wake Up Buyers Group. If you're a residential installer, there is no reason for you not to be talking to Solar Wake Up about the pricing that we've been able to negotiate with you. We now have over 200 megawatts of purchasing uh, consolidated that we're leveraging to get you the best prices possible. Uh, find more information at solowakeup.com slash pricing, solowakeup.com slash pricing. You can do a price discovery. It's fully transparent. It's a membership where you can join, you can cancel anytime. So feel free to start saving on solar products that you're using already. Uh, you can save more money and put more margin in your pocket. Wake up, wake up, energy gotta wake up. Welcome back to the show, Abby. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, you know, it seems like we talk uh, every two years. The last interview we did with, was right before, uh, on the day of the midterms in, in New Jersey. And so we're recording this a few days uh, after uh, Joe Biden has been uh, announced the, the apparent winner by the media networks. You know, not all of that is, uh, well, it's final. But uh you know, so Joe Biden's going to be the next president, unless, un, unless something drastic happens in Georgia, uh, McConnell will retain the gavel. Uh, I guess that's to be determined, but, you know, most likely for, for this conversation, let's assume that D.C. has uh, a Biden White House, Pelosi uh, with the gavel in the House of Representatives, and McConnell in the Senate. Um, before we jump into the solar-specific topics, Sia released a really nice 100-day plan. You had some 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 great quotes. You know, what's your welcome message to the Biden administration from Sia's perspective? Gosh, our welcome message is we are so excited to work with you. I mean, I think that the Biden-Harris plan to address climate change is incredibly ambitious and incredibly just and incredibly equitable. Um, and I think it you know, resounds well and um, is incredibly indicative of the work we've done in the past couple of years, right? Setting the solar plus decade, setting our goal of 20% in the next decade, um, putting equity and justice at the center of our work. And so I think it'll be a really exciting time here in Washington in the next four years. So I um, offer them a hearty congratulations and a welcome back to my city. Yeah, that's great. And and you've worked, you know, since you, you've taken over SIA, you've worked hard along with many of the members, the board, uh, to make solar more diverse and inclusive. You know, reflect, um, you know, and this was really, you know, I, I not only have a daughter, but I also have two sons. And, you know, Joe Biden gave a great speech, but it was really Kamala Harris's speech that kind of got to me, right? Reflect that. What does it mean to you, you know, as as a leader? 
and as a mother, you know, what does it reflect to have Vice President-elect Harris? And as my oh, daughter likes to say, Madam Vice President. Madam Vice President Harris. Um, it's incredibly exciting. I have the opposite. I have two daughters and one son. Um, and they're all, they're watching, right? They're watching who we put up and respect as leaders. And so the fact that we have a woman, a woman and a woman of color as our vice president to be um, is incredibly meaningful. It, it, it matters to my children and I'm sure to your children to look around the room and see different faces and different perspectives and hear different perspectives. Um, so I'm personally so excited uh, to have a woman there. I, I spent, we can talk more if you want. I spent a lot of times being the only um, in the room, the only woman in the room. Um, and so to know that, uh, you know, I've, I've worked in government, I've worked in the private sector. Um, I've had the privilege of working with, under a lot of great leaders, some men, some women, um, but it really, really matters to have a, a diverse um, leadership team. And so the fact that we're, we have a vice president-elect who is a woman of color is incredibly inspiring to me. Everyone can be proud of, proud of that. And I think it'll be, it'll be great, great to see. So talk about politics, right? Split, divide a government, business tends, seems to, to really like the idea of it. Um, but the beginning headlines the, of, of journalists that cover the energy sector really were negative from a standpoint of, you know, that's it, climate policies are uh, non-starter, DOA, McConnell won't let it happen. H- having seen those headlines, what's your reaction to that? And what, what does it mean in divided government to, for your solar policy initiatives? Yeah, I think um, I disagree wholeheartedly with anyone who says that climate policy is DOA. Um, we might not call it climate policy, right? We might say, hey, I represent an industry that's worth tens of billions of dollars and we can create jobs, we can create tax revenue, we can create opportunity in your district and in your state. And these are the policy um, tweaks and changes that I need to really unleash that investment. So the way we characterize it might be modified a little bit, but I think we can make a lot of progress. I mean, you know that certainly in the House, even though the the margin um, narrowed, the Democratic majority is incredibly supportive and uh, numerous Republicans in the House are incredibly supportive of solar and signed on to um, our legislation last year, extending the investment tax credit. Um, and in the House, there we, we did lose some, a couple of pro-solar Republicans, um, but we still have a number of them left. And so as I think, you know, we had a long conversation yesterday um, at SIA about sort of what this divided um, government, <coughs> excuse me, will mean. And I think it will um, push us to the center, um, but solar is perfectly poised to take advantage of that opportunity, right? Because we do create jobs and um, unleash investment. And it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, that's what you care about. The other thing though, that I would say is that, you know, I've served in an administration. Administrations have a ton of power. So there's so many things that we can do and uh, progress we can make on the solar front with the administration that doesn't require congressional action. And we have a long list of priorities on that front. And we'll be working with um, the Bidens to make that happen. Yeah, we'll get back to, uh, to some of the some of the administration uh, initiatives that might be possible. 
Um, so you released, uh, CIA released the 100 day plan, you know, right there, you know, the moment that the, the networks called it for, for Biden. So, you know, hats off for, for having that prepared and, and ready to go. Um, what would you say are, are, are top three initiatives that are enabled now by having uh, Biden-Harris administration in the White House, but remain possible that you feel optimistic about in this divided Congress? Yeah, well, thanks for acknowledging that we sent it right away, Dan. Dan and his team did a great job. I was in the middle of cleaning my son's room and they, they texted me and were like, go get on your laptop. They called the race and sent this note. <laughs> so I took a little break from cleaning my son's room. Um, the top three things that I think are priorities and that we can get accomplished, one is around tax. I think that there is a clear appetite amongst Democrats and Republicans to figure out ways to stimulate our economy. I think every person on the Hill I have spoken to understands that solar has the ability to do that, right? We put people to work quickly. Um, we're basically large and small construction projects and people understand that. Uh, and so I think um, delaying the step down, extending the investment tax credit, making it refundable, um, is something that can happen early on in the next Congress. Um, I would say number two is trade, right? That trade continues to be a challenge for us. And with a Biden-Harris administration, I think that we will find a um, more uh, listening ear in, um, within the administration to really like do the hard work of creating domestic manufacturing and not simply putting tariffs on product. Um, and I would say the third, I, like the third is kind of a 3A and a 3B. Um, I think 3A is sort of on the large scale side, thinking about transmission policy and how to tackle the permitting challenges and the timing delays and the regulatory uncertainty. Uh, because I do think if we want to get to massive deployment of renewables, we need more transmission capacity. And then 3B is on the distributed side, thinking about the solar app and sort of further investment by the federal government in that, um, that's incredibly important. You know, this is the hardest part about uh, doing an interview on a topic uh, that you always feel strongly about because you just like ticked off all the things that I wanna talk about. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna take them one by one. Let's talk, let's talk about ITC, right? Everyone, uh, that's the number one question is, uh, can it happen? What does it look like? Is there storage? Is it pre, is it have a direct pay cash equivalent, you know, uh, component to it? And at what level does it get extended for how long, right? Like, those are the questions that I'm sure you're getting from everyone. Those are the questions I'm getting from everyone. Kind of layer on top of it is there are these two vehicles happening right now, right? In this lame duck session, McConnell signaled a COVID stimulus, which you know, whether or not that that's a vehicle that's appropriate for ITC is, is questionable, but the spending bill, uh, mm -hmm. the omnibus spending bill is coming up in, de in December, um, which maybe it gets extended, maybe it, it doesn't, but kind of go through the ITC, you know, what's possible, uh, what do you think? And from a standpoint, because I think this is the most important one that people forgot about is that McConnell actually allowed the ITC to go to the White House, to the Trump White House, uh, last year, that mm -hmm. it did technically, you know, not in legislation, but it 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 was passable through the McConnell Senate last year, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a huge positive sign. Yeah, no, I think it is a huge positive sign. I think that's an important piece of history to remember. Um, 
so whether or not anything's going to happen in the lame duck is really anyone's <laughs> i don't i don't have a magic crystal ball um there's but, but people know. are talking right now right oh people are talking people are definitely talking and um and there are these pieces of legislation that could be vehicles there's a history of passing things in the lame duck there's a history of adding, you know, doing tax extenders at the end of the year through those kind of vehicles. And so it's certainly well within the realm of the possible. Um, we have spent the last, what is it, November, you know, we had that push for the ITC extension last year, which got literally all the way until the wee hours of the morning. Um, I remember where I was when I heard we didn't get it. <laughs> I won't share that story. But, um, um, but we have spent all of these months that we've been in quarantine uh, doing Zoom calls with legislators and staff. I think we've done like over 150 um, calls and meetings and um, advocacy work. And so it's not like we're coming in at the last minute with like, hey, you guys, we have this great idea. We've really laid the foundation with Dems and Republicans for months and months and months about why an extension of the ITC and refundability of the ITC is such a critical um, piece and so important for our industry. So. Uh, you know, whether McConnell sort of what, what the, the size of a package is, is obviously way beyond solar's capacity to um, influence, but certainly it is uh, our friends on both sides of the aisle know that it is a priority for us um, and that it will be incredibly impactful in getting people back to work. I mean, that's every conversation I've had with every legislator, they're focused on getting people back to work, right? So yeah. many of us who are able to work from home like sometimes I feel like we're a little bit, we forget that millions of our fellow Americans are unemployed and like don't see, don't have a clear path back to the workforce. And so um, legislators are hearing that when they're home in their districts and offering them a path back to employment is um, sort of the best argument that we can make. So how long will it be? What percentage will it be? I think there, I think refundability will be, um, time limited, right? I don't think it'll be <laughs> infinite, uh, but I do think, you know, we have talked about a year and a half, two years. Um, we have asked for a 30%, we've asked for a five-year extension. So those are sort of the opening, um, the opening bargain that we're trying to cut, um, but we'll see where they end up. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, they, I think, and and when, when you say we've asked for, for 30%, uh, inclusion of storage is sort of inherent inherent in that ask in my absolutely yeah 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 the, um we are very very on message that storage needs to be included yeah. in the investment tax credit so like you know you, you said you've had conversations with legislators in these in these non-public settings right mm -hmm. I, I keep going back there's one republican legislator that always is like the the, the definition of sort of when when you talk when you say I talk to Republicans, I always think of Tom Massey, right? Tom Massey, okay. uh, Republican congressman. I mean, Republican is probably too liberal of a word for him, but you know, from Kentucky, who, you know, had the snarky comment with John Kerry about climate change uh, a few years ago, has solar on his house and drives a Tesla, right? So he's he's an adopter and a fan of our industry. Right. So in the non-public settings, what is what do Republican members of Congress say about solar and like what message resonates with them? So I have never had 
a Republican member of Congress say they tell me they don't believe in climate change or question it. Um, they have always acknowledged that it's happening. I think they there might be different interpretations of sort of what the various causes are, but more severe weather, um, more impact to their constituents, um, and the fact that the climate is changing are all, no, I've never had a debate with any of them about that. Um, they all, not all, the majority of them understand that we're a big business, right? I think for a long time, there was sort of this idea that it was just sort of crunchy people out in California that were putting solar on their houses to make themselves feel better. Um, they get that we are a multi-billion dollar business and, um, and sort of some of the names in our business, they know, and, and that sort of brings credibility. Um, I would say the thing that really differentiates meetings I have with Republicans and ones I have with them is um, Republicans tend to focus more on kind of an all of the above approach, right? They like solar, but they don't like it to the exclusion of other fuel sources. And they're, they're more invested, many of them are more invested in kind of ensuring that all technologies have opportunity, even ones that um, continue to pollute our environment and our air. Um, whereas most of the Dems I talk to, it's obviously a much more focus on a transition away from those carbon emitting technologies. Um, and most yeah. Republicans in private don't like the president. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. For, 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 we'll add the title "former" to that. Um, I mean, there was an interesting headline yesterday in Barron's, you know, financial news newspaper that isn't, you know, liberal by any means, and basically saying that when when Biden's talking about the energy transition away from oil, he's really not saying anything that's more. Uh, dramatic or 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 liberal progressive than what the ceo of bp saying right mm -hmm. and you know to the you know we we always tend to think about republicans like coal and oil and fracking and that's what obviously the the you know president trump was was talking about quite a bit but really the industry is saying the same thing and it, is this recognized i mean kind of you know, to take it a step further, over the last six months, solar stocks are just going gangbusters. And you, to the extent that utilities are even, they're like, they're trying to say, hey, we're clean energy companies, right? And, you know, right. the PR machines at, at, at EEI are, are saying, hey, we're clean energy companies and we're competing uh, and we're now more valuable than oil companies. There's this new dynamic happening. Um, is that does Congress do members see this that 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 like the pub the the value in the market side of things? I would say it's very localized. So it's certainly, um, you know, if if I'm talking to a member from Texas or from Oklahoma or from Louisiana, and I talk about the incredible investments that the oil majors have made, most of the oil majors have made in renewables, that gets their attention, right? Because those are historic constituents of theirs and important business leaders in their communities. And that has an impact. If I'm talking to a Senator from Indiana and I talk about the Indiana utilities that are, you know, are closing coal plant, the utility is closing the coal plant early because that's the business decision they made and they're replacing it with solar and storage. 
that has resonance. And I've had that conversation with the senators from Indiana, right? So I would say it's um, the, the business case really matters, but it matters in a very localized way. You know, yeah. um, I saw this like when I worked in offshore wind, there was, you know, there were a lot of companies that were really interested in offshore wind, but they were um, smaller companies that you never heard of. Um, once the oil majors started, the, first the European oil majors and, and then other oil majors started realizing that offshore infrastructure is offshore infrastructure and they wanted to have a piece of it, completely changed the discussion that I was having in Washington and in states. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, uh, it's a good point to, to, to know the constituents and not just the people, but the businesses in the, in, in the local jurisdictions um, definitely makes a lot of sense. Let's, uh, let's jump to trade, um, unless something really create, you know, we, we know Biden is a fan of uh, having bipartisan cabinet, right? We, we know that that's, he's a man steeped in tradition. Um, there's very likely going to be uh, some Republican um, nominees to the cabinet, um, but it's very unlikely that Peter Navarro is going to keep his seat. And I think uh, much to your, um, you know, th this is going to be a, a, a good occasion for the sole industry that Peter Navarro is no longer the trade representative uh, of the United States. Um, that is my comment and not yours. Um, but, you know, he, he has been the anti-solar uh, voice in the o in the Oval Office, not just in the administration, in the Oval Office uh, since day one, right? Um, but, you know, if we kind of take a step back on trade, uh, President Obama and Vice President Biden had the first two anti-dumping countervailing duties that started the whole uh, silicon versus solar panel fight with, uh, with, with Asian manufacturing. And then Trump mm -hmm. came and added the 201 and added the steel and aluminum tariffs. What, what is the discussion? Because it wasn't, you know, there, there are now all these other, and there's a, there's a 201 case with Vietnam coming up from what I understand. Um, what do you, what is the administration's position or how are you going to take, take up the administration's position? Uh, because you know, Biden's not going to want to say, great, we want more solar, let's make it all offshore. Um, but meanwhile, the steel and, and aluminum tariffs are driving a lot of the balance of systems manufacturing offshore. Right. So right. Uh, how, do you, how do you maneuver this uh, very simple topic? <laughs> um, I had the pleasure of meeting with Mr. Navarro at the White House during the trade case. Um, and a moment I will also remember for a very long time. Um, I think you're right. I think that um, there is a, a reality that we have to deal with, um, which is that this the Biden-Harris campaign and now um, their transition has spoken quite articulately and quite passionately about domestic manufacturing, which obviously I know is an issue near and dear to your heart. Um, and so I think that the conversation that we want to have, that we've had and that we'll continue to have with the Biden team is, okay, we can agree that that is a, a goal and we have created a suite of policy um, options that will help make that happen, but sort of a, a hit across our whole industry um, with these unnecessary tariffs are, is not how we're going to get there. I mean, just look at the last three years, right? It's proven that that's, that's not um, incenting 
a right. significant amount of domestic manufacturing in that part of the system. So, um, but I think the realistically, a new administration will, um, you know, so there's obviously a great appetite to take all of the 201 tariffs away. Um, and we will certainly have that have had and will continue to have that conversation um, with the Biden team. I think that um, keeping the bifacial exclusion, right? We've been in litigation for that over, over a year now um, and have successfully kept that exclusion in place. I think at least um, getting the step down back to where it was and not at that 18% um, is it will be an important part of that business certainty. I think not extending them, right? Like making sure that there's no extension of these tariffs will be an important piece. I think the ADCBD cases are, you know, they're sort of on a different track. Um, my trade lawyers tell me they're kind of, you know, they're, they're administrative efforts at this point, the, the ones that exist. Um, but there's certainly a lot that the Bidens can do on 201 and 301 and 232 to make manufacturing, to make solar uh, more competitive and to make manufacturing here in the U.S. Uh, more likely. So yeah, I mean, you're right. It's a very complicated issue, but um, those are the conversations we're having. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that the foundation of it is rooted in that a European homeowner pays half as much for the same solar panel than a U.S. homeowner does. Right. And because of this artificial, uh, you know, enhancement and, you know, like you said, it, it, there hasn't, you know, we definitely have seen a few assembly plants and these are assembly plants um, being made uh, in, in, in the U S you know, uh, Q cells, Jinko, LG, uh, the joined a few others. Um, but, you know, I mean, I don't do it anymore, but I used to run a racking menu, like literally a manufacturing plant, in California. And the thing that crushed the economic case for having domestic manufacturing is, is taxing the commodity of aluminum that came into the factory. Those jobs were direct, you know, that we obviously sold that business. Um, and that that the factory has now been as of uh, earlier this month shut down and offshored, which, you know, I wasn't there anymore. And like, I, but fundamentally, the economic case for it is really difficult if the commodity price get, goes up 10 to 25%. And, um, you know, Array Technologies is probably a good example of a great success story. 31 years to get to public markets, you know, Ron, Ron built that business and they manufacture a lot in New Mexico. But the reality is if the steel tariffs stay in, I don't know if they're gonna continue to do that. And I think the, the basics of that are gonna be really interesting for, uh, for the DC administration. I'd be really interested to see how Senator Heinrich, who's been great on this topic and really helpful in 201, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with Array Technologies in New Mexico, how he participates in the trade side of things. Um, you know, we, that, that'll be really interesting. Sorry, uh, trade, trade is a topic that we can definitely talk uh, hours about, but um, I think we'll, we'll make everyone fall asleep. What do you, going back to, uh, you know, I asked you the top three, but, Outside of the ITC, what's one policy, whether it's administrative at the administration or through legislation, what's the one policy that's going to have the biggest impact on how much solar gets installed? Other than the ITC? Other and than any, the ITC. Sort of tax policy, climate, climate policy? 
I mean, um, is, there, is there one thing where you, you, like if someone said pick one? Right. You okay. Know. And you're going you're gonna to take tax and trade away from me? <laughs> I mean, it could be trade. I mean, ITC is obviously the, the answer, um, right. but, but I mean, is it trade? I think certainty, not trade and certainty with regard to trade policy would be incredibly impactful. Um, I think, you know, you just mentioned perhaps a new 201 from Vietnam. Like there's, there are enough kind of ups and downs in, the, in trade policy, at least over the last few years, that I think it has added cost and um, some reticence on, to the investment side, right? Because people, people know they're going to deal with sort of this unpredictability, but obviously they don't know what it's going to be because it's unpredictable. Um, right. So I do think if there was more certainty brought to that part of the, um, that part of the policy a world that could be incredibly helpful. Um, you know, if we could like to get permitting and interconnection smoother and more reliable and more timely, I think that would have a huge impact on, again, on cost, on certainty, on investment, like sort of comfort level and deployment. Um, that's obviously not one piece of legislation, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, but that would be, I think, have a huge impact on how much solar is deployed. So let's talk about 3A and 3B, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Because similar topics, but the execution on how to fix them is different for large scale and, uh, and, and distributed. And, you know, for me, anytime I talk to an executive that's purely utility scale, I always say to them, look, you need distributed to be just as successful because that's where a lot of the grassroots support comes from. If homeowners can't put solar in their house, then yeah. they're not going to support policies that are going to let solar go in a, in a field or mm -hmm. on a piece of land. And then vice versa, if I talk to someone that only cares about distributed, I say to them, how are you going to drive the volumes up to get to the cost where people think solar actually pays? For we've, we've crossed the chasm where people no longer think solar is too expensive. Right. And so it's a it's an it's a rising tide environment, right? But you know, in policy, yeah, three A three B, and you maneuver this. I mean, I think when we first spoke the first week on the job, uh, I said you're gonna like this is one of the things that is going to be this constant tug of war, um, and you know. But I think the industry has done a good job of understanding both sides of it. But so three A, utility scale interconnections, MISO. Right, article out this week, 57 gigawatts of renewables in the interconnection queue. Uh, one that's kind of more nuanced, but the Southwest Power Pool, kind of North Texas, uh, has 14 gigawatts of wind and solar in the interconnection queue that you know they, they applied three years ago. And SPP now said, you need to pay eight and a half billion dollars of, of utility infrastructure upgrades, including building 200 miles of 760 kV line, which 70 cents a watt is more expensive than actually building solar and wind. How, like what can, what, I mean, these are local sort of local issues, but okay. what is the, what's the answer for, for, for Biden when, when he asks, why can't we build more solar and wind in North Texas or in Michigan? Yeah, well, I mean, 
there's no surprise. I said like interconnection and permitting, right? That would make a huge difference. And so where do we go advocate for that in a very localized way? So at the RTOs, in those governance structures, at those committees, it's not sexy work. It's not headline. Okay, you just quoted a headline, but generally it's not headline kind of work, right? It's really um, gritty uh, work. But that being said, I think if you had a FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, that made very clear that the priority was facilitating the deployment of mass amounts of wind and solar. Um, obviously, they oversee the RTOs. And so sort of that leadership from above is one way in which I think a Biden administration could could provide leadership and guidance. So appointing the right for commissioners will be critical. Um, I think um, sort of having uh, uh, folks at the RTOs, right, like the executives at the RTOs that are understand how these things work and are, are not totally beholden to, to transmission owners or to utilities. Um, we've had most of the CEOs of the RTOs meet with our board or myself and sort of talk about these issues and talk about solar. And, and you know, I, I see at that level that they understand that the grid that they're managing is changing. Um, I think there's a bit more hesitancy kind of in creating the market structures to allow that to happen. Um, so I, w I wish I had an easy answer for that yeah. one, um, it, but I don't, it, but it's incredibly important. Is transmission a, you know, I think next week is infrastructure week. Um, <laughs> is, is transmission something, and, and I'm asking this because, you know, Biden did a 20 minute interview with Pod Save America a couple weeks ago uh -huh. and before the election. And he said in that interview that he had a map in his office of a smart grid where like it was, uh, and, and, you know, him and Dan Pfeiffer, you know, who, who worked for him for, for many years, they talked about this map that Joe Biden has had in his office about the smart grid so that there more renewables can be built. But, you know, and now we're talking about building this grid with, uh, union labor, right? So labor's is interested in this. Massive infrastructure investments in Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, right? Mm -hmm. Is this is this a topic where uh, bipartisan support for a hundred billion dollar smart grid investment could come together? I think so. I think so. We we as I said, we had a conversation yesterday um, with both Republicans and Democratic um, leaders and talked about infrastructure and clean energy's place in an infrastructure package. Transmission is absolutely a part of that. And I do think it's an area where there is bipartisan support. Um, you know, I don't know a single legislator who would say that our grid infrastructure is acceptable at the moment, right? And certainly yeah. not um, as we think about any kind of transition. Like, as I said, even, even folks that don't think there needs to be 100% a transition to 100% renewable, they understand that that there is a transition and that we need to have that infrastructure. So yeah, I do. I think that will happen. I think it will happen early on um, in a Biden administration. Um, my estimate is sort of other than COVID, dealing with COVID, which they need to do, um, an infrastructure package will be um, a priority early on. I will never ever 
call yeah. anything infrastructure week though. <laughs> um, no, we're gonna we're gonna need you to reach out to to Dan Pfeiffer and and find out where this map is, right? Because I want to see we, the map. We got, we, we got to go back to uh, he. I mean, he brought it up, and I mean, I was floored. I was floored when they spent good five minutes talking about climate policy and. You know, look, Joe Biden's been around a long time and there's certain things that trigger his memory yeah. uh, around this policy. And I'm telling you this, we got to get our hands on that map. I'm going to um, make it a personal <laughs> mission to find the map. <laughs> I'll, I'll work with you on it. And then so jumping to 3B, uh, solar uh -huh. app, right? Uh, yep. Permitting, interconnection, you know, getting to PTO for homeowners is and installers is an arduous, uh, fragmented uh, inefficient and costly process, right? Mm -hmm. Some some estimates say that a third of the cost of residential solar is this soft cost. When right. solar is really at the end of the day, the National Electric Code, the National Building Code, the National Fire Protection Act, right? Like there's so many national levels of uh, standards that have to be met for solar to be safe for a home. Um, it's, it really lends itself to what solar apps trying to create, right? This instant and standardized permitting process. Yeah. Is this a is this a policy that DC can quote unquote federalize the same way they did satellite dishes, um, or is this something that's just going to have to be jurisdiction by jurisdiction, state by state? So, I mean, I think the legal answer is yes, they could. The political answer is I would highly doubt that they would take that approach. Um, so instead, I mean, we did sort of that political calculation, and I just don't think sort of taking jurisdiction from state and locals would be a winning political battle. Um, so the, the strategy then is to develop this tool, and we're working with NRA, National Renewable Energy Lab to make it happen, to have this online permitting tool, and then use the Department of Energy kind of as a convener and an authenticator and, a, you know, sort of help us distribute it and get buy-in from local jurisdictions. And so that's the, where I see the federal government having a role in this. I think, um, I do think it's one of those things that like as jurisdictions adopt it, more jurisdictions will adopt it. Nobody, you know, there are people who will wanna be first movers and there are people who definitely don't. And to the extent that, um, that once the first movers have gone and there's some um, sort of proof of uh, efficacy, I think more jurisdictions will do that. We've seen it a little bit during COVID, right? As, as yeah. permitting offices have been shut down, they've been a little bit more open to different ways to do this, which is promising. Um, Cause I do think it would make a huge difference. Yeah, side. enormous. And you know, uh, I think we talked about this at the first solar app meeting in Anaheim. Oh yeah. We used to meet in person, but uh, <laughs> Sunshot actually, uh, gave the Broward County building department a grant, a Sunshot grant to do this. And they got, I wanna say a couple hundred AHJs in Florida on board. They failed on the technical execution, uh -huh. uh, which is why sort of industry leading this makes sense to get the technical piece of it right. Um, but I, I agree. I mean, it's, I think that'd be great uh, piece for Department of Energy to take up. Um, any, anything, that you want to pr do a prediction on like it, it, the i mean i've got my closing question but before we before we go there like how optimistic and excited are you about the next four years right like and and what's the the one thing that you know sounds maybe a little bit crazy that people wouldn't believe would happen 
but you know, I've been in solar for 15 years and there's no way I would have seen any of this happening, right? Like solar has <laughs> continued to surprise me year after year. Um, and you've been in now, you know, if, if, a few years, you've obviously been in energy a long time, but like, what, what is your level of optimism about the, like the, the sunshot, like the moonshot thing in solar to happen? Yeah. So I have had this job for almost four years. I, I started at SIA the week that Trump was inaugurated. And so I've never, ever had the opportunity to be uh, in this industry when we had an administration that clearly um, prioritized addressing the climate crisis. And so I am personally just so excited to, um, to really watch our industry grow uh, even more exponentially under leadership that um, that will prioritize our our sector. Um, I think so. It's an interesting question, Jan. I would say um, the things I'm really interested in seeing happen um, are like the prioritization of renewable energy development on public lands. Right. I was at Interior when Obama was our president, and uh, my colleagues at BLM and my colleagues in other um, departments there had a clear mandate, right, to get renewable energy projects built on public lands. Obviously, you know, I, I think that has not been a priority <laughs> for the last four years, um, but I'm excited to, to see it prioritized in that way. I'm incredibly excited to see uh, environmental justice and issues of equity and fairness, like centered at our work and really being um, a core tenant of the work that we do and not just like a little thing over here on the side. Um, I think that this administration will make that happen. I think the cabinet will make that happen. I think, you know, people like me and you who care deeply about it will not let people forget that that's what we all committed to last June. Um, and it's, you know, it, it, it's not gonna, we're, we're not gonna let it just slip away. Um, so I'm so excited to see what that actually looks like. And, you know, we're, we're deploying massive amounts of infrastructure but doing it in a way um, that is informed by the communities that it's impacting. I think in my mind, if we can accomplish that, that will be a huge um, advancement for our, our industry and our world. Um, gosh, what do, I, what do I predict could happen that, uh, that might not happen? Um, you know, I think we just last week um, welcomed the Arkansas affiliate. Yeah. To see um, I think that, you know, there is going to be a 50 state advocacy infrastructure for renewables and for solar in particular um, in places that we would never have imagined. So Wyoming SIA is coming to you. That's what I, that's one of my predictions. <laughs> I, 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 I like it. Um, it. Do you want to handicap? And you 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 can you can segue out of this. Do you want to handicap what the likelihood is that we get an ITC extension by the end of next year before it goes to zero slash ten percent? I feel very optimistic that we will get an ITC extension before the end of twenty twenty one. I like it. Uh, so last one because uh, you worked uh, in the Obama administration. Um, I you know I worked. I was far from. Uh, as involved and as dedicated as many of the leaders of clean energy for Biden, but, you know, over uh, $3 million raised, lots of grassroots numbers, 
you know, hundreds of legislators involved in it, uh, 11,000 people registered clean energy for Biden. A lot of them are going to go work in this administration. And mm -hmm. arguably, some of them are going to work at really high levels within this climate office and other, you know, all over the agency. How excited are you about the fact that people that you know personally that have worked in solar are going to be in government? For I, I would say for the first time that we've had solar into government, not government into solar. Yeah, yeah, I'm incredibly excited. I mean, uh, having served in an administration, I understand the real reach that politicals can have. Um, I understand the kinds of things that they can do and the, the ways that they can impact and prioritize and, um, you know, like set agendas that, again, don't require congressional <laughs> approval, right? That's the beauty of winning an election is that you get to set the priorities and you get to um, make your policies happen. And so knowing that there will be a cadre of clean energy and solar professionals in the administration um, gives me so much hope. I, I, like, I can't say it enough. I think um, it will be really, this is going to be a really exciting place to be um, as, we, as we keep making progress on the solar plus decade and knowing that our colleagues are inside pushing while we're outside building. It's just going to be a fun time. Abby Hopper, going to enter your fifth year as the CEO <laughs> of SIA. Um, you know, here we go into uh, into the Biden era. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's always great to have you on. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Jan. I can't wait to see you in person soon, hopefully. Absolutely. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, man. Thanks so much for listening to the Energy Wake Up podcast. Find more online at solarwakeup.com. We'll catch you next time.